0: small businesses play a vital role in Canadian communities. Visa knows this, and to show its support, it's offering female entrepreneurs grants and coaching. And on visa.ca, there are business-centric tools and resources to help entrepreneurs succeed in a digital environment. To learn more about how Visa is supporting small businesses, go to visa.ca backslash smallbusiness. When you hear the words transcontinental railroad, You may call to mind olden days, the frontier, barons carving up empires that crisscross the continent from east to west. But what to make of the news that was announced this weekend that Canadian Pacific Railways and Kansas City Southern are proposing a $25 billion merger that would create a new transcontinental railroad? But this time, it's a transcontinental railroad that runs north-south, from Canada through the U.S. and deep into Mexico, where a string of industry has developed over the past decade. I'm Gabe Friedman, host of Down to Business, and this week, I spoke to Steve Hansen, an equities analyst with Raymond James, and Howard Green, a veteran journalist and the author of Railroader, a biography of the late CP Rail CEO, Hunter Harrison. It's a story about North American supply chain and regional trade. It's a story about the industrial development of Mexico, about the corporate titans who invest in railroads today. And it's a story about Hunter Harrison, who transformed the North American railroad industry. As always, the interviews were edited for clarity and brevity. First up is Steve Hansen, an equities analyst with Raymond James. Hey, Steve. Hello there. So this is a $25 billion merger. Can you just give me a quick sketch of what your first thought and impression was when you heard about this?
1: Yeah, the first and foremost was a surprise in some respects. I mean, this has been rumored and discussed for the better part of 10, 15 years. So in that context, it was surprising. Of course, it came on a Sunday. But I think uh, the immediate afterthought was, wow, this is really exciting. You know, we really think it is a historic and transform- transformational opportunity for, for both carriers, um, really around the power of the combined network.
0: So this is basically going to connect Canada to the United States to Mexico. What's the sort of main cargo that will be able to move more easily between these countries now if this merger eventually gets approved?
1: So it's really important to understand that, you know, Canada has got this really large franchise in the north, right, in Canada and extends down and then it just literally touches at one spot at Kansas City. And then from there, the KSU takes it down all the way down to southern Mexico to the Gulf and all the way right down to Mexico. So, you know, you can, if you're listening, you can envision sort of that that map that extends all the way down, tr- truly transcontinental. Now, what it'll do is it really marries, uh, on the one hand, CP's what we call large uh, origination franchise that's originating bulk grains, bulk potash, bulk, you know, all kinds of different bulk products out like of Canada and will allow them to move instead of just West Coast or East coast and then export by ship. It'll allow them to move much deeper now into the U S South and then even further into the Mexico, you know, panhandle. So it sort of connects what we call an origination network in the North with a destination network in the South. Now that's just one aspect of it. There's a lot more than that. You know, if you think about, you know, the industrial domestic footprint Mexico, has built up in the last 15 to 20 years around auto manufacturing Aerospace manufacturing, there's a really well-established industrial base down there now where products are built down there effectively and then moved up into the U.S. and ultimately into the Midwest and even Canada. And a lot of that product moves today on truck. So one of the big opportunities is to take it off of truck and onto rail and provide, again, what we call a single line haul opportunity. So That's one carrier taking you from point A all the way to the point of destination in a seamless fashion. You know, just think automotive products that I mentioned, aerospace, all kinds of other products that would move back and forth across the border as an opportunity. If you think about the Gulf extension, you know, they're going to get right down to the Gulf now. The ability to move refined products out of the Gulf into Mexico or refined products from Canada, like from Alberta, down to the Gulf all the way on a single line haul. It's really about leveraging those strengths of
0: both networks together. And, I mean, you just talked about how there's all this industry in Mexico that's developed and a lot of it's moving by truck. What is it that's so important about getting it connected to a rail? Is it that it's cheaper, it's safer, it's more reliable?
1: Yeah, no, good question. So, so I mean, the interesting thing is today is the rail service exists today. Like if you think about it, like KSU is already there today, right? And so KFU is moving some products, you know, from Mexico into the US. That's That's an important part of their franchise today. But what happens is, is because KSU only extends to Kansas City, it's really hard for shippers to say, okay, I want to take it on the Kansas City network from, you know, the middle of Mexico to Kansas City. And then I got to arrange another carrier to pick it up there, likely CP, you know, pick it up there and then take it to Chicago or take it up to Sarnia or take it up to somewhere else. Like when you start to get this interchange between multiple carriers, it adds a lot of friction and, and frankly, time and cost to that route. So in that, when that happens, shippers will say, oh, I want to ship by truck. It's easier, faster. It's often way more expensive, right? So truck is a is a very quick, easy way to get something from point A to point B, but you're going to pay for it, right? It's just not nearly as efficient as setting on a train. So now if you just sort of overlay that opportunity now to do a single line haul opportunity, so CP picks it up in the middle of Mexico and takes it all the way to Sarnia, one carrier, no friction between interchange, that becomes much better value prop. Now, on top of that, I think it's really important for any of your listeners to understand that, you know, CP is regarded, you know, by almost all stakeholders as one of the best operators in the industry. So they're going to bring sort of call operating authority to this as well to really be able to deliver on efficient moves. So not just the fact that they can move from point A to point B, but move there very quickly, very efficiently, and within the prescribed sort of times that they always set.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about what you're saying, though. So far, at least, a lot of the coverage is focused on the fact that CP will keep its headquarters in Calgary, that it's buying U.S. company, which is a little bit the reverse. Oftentimes, we think about U.S. companies buying up Canadian companies. Mm-hmm. Mexico, though, it sounds like, has really gotten a lot of industry going. Is Mexico sort of one of the hidden beneficiaries and, and maybe even real winner of this deal in a way?
1: Yeah. Uh- I don't know about that. I mean, I think on the margin their their domestic industrial base benefits for sure. Yeah. I mean, they would be a beneficiary there. I, I would I wouldn't put the benefits over and above the other countries though. You know, again, the railroads are really just a, you know, a backbone of infrastructure and supply chain that, that really interconnect all the different moving parts, right? I mean and, and trucking would be the same. Right. And so what this does is it just really interstitches what is not a centralized industrial base.
0: It seems like something that's a long time coming, connecting the North American economies better, literally. It sounds like maybe what you're saying really is like North America economy as a region is going to benefit tremendously if this deal goes through.
1: Correct. Yeah, I would agree with that. Anyway, and it's, it's you know, it's not just it's not happening in isolation. Right. I think that's important. Right. If you think about the backdrop here, the the new North American Trade free trade agreement, the USMCA has been signed. Right. So that's done. And so that framework provides good investment certainty for uh, companies and shippers to make investments across the continent to sort of, you know, again, accelerate some of that transcontinental trade. And then at the same time, you have the sort of broader themes around near sourcing as opposed to outsourcing, right? You know, there was always this long standing view of we're an offshore everything. That, that's still a prominent theme in some respect, but it's also been reversing of late given the challenges around having product built so far away. So this near sourcing phenomenon has become much more more I'd say front and center here in the last sort of three to four years, and probably continues to accelerate with the new USMCA.
0: Given that trend, which we talked about a lot during the pandemic, how we want to bring more manufacturing, bring more industry back to North America, so that we don't, you know, face supply chain disruptions. Do you expect to see more consolidation in the North American rail network?
1: You know. I don't not not at the class one level. So you know, class one is just a term we use to describe the really big railroads very simplistically. Um I think the the big deals uh were actually largely done back in the nineties. You know, the rules are more difficult today to get the deals done for sure. You don't just have to prove that you're not harming competition, you have to actually improve that you're enhancing competition, which is actually a much higher hurdle. Now the actual the KST was actually carved out as part of that, that sort of incremental step change in the legislation some time ago. And so, CP will be applying under the old rules. But I still think, as a general statement, it's much harder to prove that nowadays. And the big mergers that would be otherwise contemplated, like the other remaining carriers, would be much harder to justify, I think, and get through a regulatory hurdle. Just, just for context, again, if you understand, you know, the combination of CP and KSU together will still leave them as the smallest Class one, right? It, as much as we talk about this as being a big merger, and it is, it's still on relative terms. They're much smaller than the combination the, the existing players like UNP and and
0: CFCX, for example. Right, but it's and it's smaller, but it's potentially more significant because it has that sort of um, link between Mexico, southern Mexico, and Canada, and all through the U.S.
1: Correct. If you just kind of can think about it without the benefit of a map, the one real advantage CN has had over you know, the last decade plus is their network. And they've got, you know, this ability to touch West Coast Canada, East Coast Canada, and they've got a, a central line that they got to Illinois Central that runs straight down into the Gulf. So it's almost like a Y-shaped network across the continent. And that was, you know, always one of their key advantages. The new CP under, the, under this merger will actually look a lot like that, but it'll keep going. Yeah, so it'll have that same sort of Y-shaped network right down to the Gulf. And then it will also go further down into all the way to the heartland of Mexico. But ultimately, final approval will be given by the SDB next year if it happens.
0: Cool. Steve, thanks so much for joining me on Down to Business to talk about these issues. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, anytime. Have a good one. That was Steve Hansen, Equities Analyst with Raymond James. My next guest is Howard Green, the author of Railroader, the unfiltered genius and controversy of four-time CEO Hunter Harrison. Howard, thanks so much for joining me on Down to Business.
2: Uh, Thank you for having me, Kate. Pleasure.
0: You've written a book about, you know, CP's late former chief executive, Hunter Harrison. But railroads in general, I think, are in some ways kind of a forgotten piece of infrastructure. And I was wondering what initially spurred you to make a deep dive into this topic.
2: Well, I think they're critical infrastructure, first of all. There are only seven major ones in in North America, i.e. Canada and the United States. And a lot of stuff gets shipped on those railroads. Grain, auto parts, chemicals, in some cases oil, you know, Tropicana, orange juice, (laughs) you name it. It's getting shipped on railroads or trucks. I got interested in this story because of Hunter Harrison himself I started interviewing him probably in 2004, 2005, when he ran Canadian National, the other big Canadian railroad. Hunter, by the way, has run or did run. He passed away in late 2017. He was CEO of four major railroads, publicly traded companies. I can't think of anybody else who's, who ran four publicly traded companies, three of them very large. In fact, the first one, Illinois Central, was smaller. CN bought that in 1998. That brought Hunter to Canada and Hunter then took what was then the uh, worst performing railroad in North America, efficiency-wise, to number one. Made a ton of money for shareholders for himself, biggest shareholder, in fact, still continues to be Bill Gates of Canadian National. He left at the end of 2009. And then in late 2011, activist shareholder Bill Ackman and his partner, Paul Halal, in New York, saw an opportunity at Canadian Pacific, which was then the worst performing railroad in North America. They liked what they heard about Hunter Harrison. He was available. And there was a big proxy fight to install him at Canadian Pacific, an iconic Canadian company that goes back to the first Canadian prime minister, Sir John May MacDonald, you know, tying the country together. And he took over, he ran that railroad for four plus years and made it as efficient as CN in, in record time. It was an unbelievable turnaround story. You know, Hunter left Canadian Pacific, and within a matter of weeks, he was installed as CEO of CSX. I mean, this guy was seen as a savant when it came to running railroads. And, you know, he was an efficiency expert. The guy who runs Canadian Pacific now is Keith Creel, who you saw attached to this latest uh, big railroad story, Canadian Pacific buying Kansas City Southern, the smallest of the, the big seven railroads. And Keith was a protege of Hunter. Hunter mentored him. And Keith is known far and wide as the best operator in the business.
0: So Hunter was known as this master operator. He could have pursued a combination, right, with Kansas City Southern, but he always declined to. Do you think this fact that his protege now has gone ahead and this deal is being cheered says something about Mexico and its development, or does it say something about supply chain disruptions? What in your mind has changed?
2: Yeah, I think it's a few things. One, you know, yes, Hunter, when he was at CN, um, Hunter was chief operating officer 20 plus years ago. Hunter was against it. He wasn't crazy about Kansas City Southern, and he was never crazy about the, the exposure to Mexico. But times have changed. And also, you know, for 20 years, no big deals have happened because of the regulatory stance. But this one, Kansas City Southern, is the smallest of the Big Seven. And so it's probably the least likely one to arouse heightened regulatory concerns. Also, it's north south, you know, Mexico, US, Canada, versus east west, like the other major ones in the United States. As I said, it's friendly. There's no activists involved. And Kansas City Southern has changed its stripes. I think this is pretty significant. It adopted Hunter Harrison's operating philosophy of precision scheduled railroading. But, and in particular, it hired one of his former executives at CN, a fellow named Sami Sami, who's now executive vice president of precision railroading there. And it has performed very, very well over the last couple of years. So it's a different company than when Hunter might have looked at it. And so I think today, you know, Hunter would probably be aligned with it. He always thought consolidation made sense, but that it wasn't going to happen during his career or lifetime, but would likely happen during Keith Creel's. And, and that indeed seems to be the case. And from a supply chain point of view, I think you're touching a good, good point there, Kansas City, CP and Kansas City Southern have that common point of connection at Kansas City and that, as they say in, in in their release, will help them avoid the congestion of Chicago, which has always been a problem for the railroads. And so, between reaching into Mexico, Kansas City, and adopting precision schedule railroading, and it being the smallest one of the U.S. railroads, this was, you know, it looks like a shrewd move on behalf of CP.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting to me that. Most people think of railroads, they think of like, as you said, like railroads that are going east to west, not necessarily north to south. Yeah. But this is sort of an interesting development for North America's regional economy about railroads. How would you describe the role they play?
2: Hugely important. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think they've actually been overlooked in the last number of years. They've been extremely hot properties. In the last number of years, you know, as soon as people realized who, who this Hunter Harrison character was, he died at the end of 2017. And at that point, upon his death, he generated some $50 billion in shareholder value. If you look at what's happened since, it's, you know, it's it's a few times that. Some of the biggest, you know, sophisticated investors in the world are, you know, um, invested in these things. And by the way, Warren Buffett owns one of them, Burlington, Northern Santa Fe. Which CN had tried to buy in, in back in 2000, and that's when the moratorium went on uh, on the books from the, the regulators saying no more big rail deals. Some pretty sophisticated investors are involved in these; they're
0: extremely important. As you're saying, this, the stock prices, I think, in the last year I was reading are up almost double for a lot of rail companies. But if you go back a year in Canada, there were the Wetsuettin protests, where a small group of people strategically form these blockades and really choked off trade. And one of the things that you I, I think a lot of people think about with railroads is that they're it's not what it used to be where these were these expanding enterprises. I think they're they're still making lots of money and they still have growth. But tell us a little bit of a sense about sort of why the antitrust is such an issue in railroads.
2: Well, there there aren't many of them. You know, really when you think about it, okay, so there are five class one railroads in the United States, there are two in Canada. Think about how many banks there are in Canada. There are six, if you include National Bank. And, you know, Canada in 1998, there were two pairs of banks that tried to merge. And the government said, no, it's an oligopoly already. And, you know, if we have if we have six now, we're going to end up with two huge ones and two runs. And, you know, heaven forbid something happens, like 2008, the government and the taxpayer, the people are going to be on the hook. So they didn't allow it. You know, I think it's hard to say why each individual country protects what it does. But five, you know, the two biggies, there are two big ones in the West in the U.S., two big ones in the East in the U.S. And then there's Kansas City Southern that goes north-south. Now, when Hunter started in the business late 1963, there were dozens maybe over 50, between 50 and 100 major railroads. And there was a huge wave of consolidation over that period. You know, Burlington Northern Santa Fe used to be just Burlington Northern and Santa Fe, and they got together, you know. So,
0: the CSX is the, is the amalgam of a ton of different railroads. It's too expensive to make new ones these days, too. So it's... Yeah,
2: you know, they're not building any new ones. A lot of them have already combined. So, why does it need to be more common?
0: Which brings us to a point, I want to say though. One of the selling points that the company um, is putting out there is that if you put more freight onto rail instead of moving it around by trucks, yep. greenhouse gas emissions would fall. Yeah. Do you expect to hear this argument more?
2: Well, it's a really good point. And, and the companies highlighted that in their release. You know, one train can take 300 trucks off the road. I guess it depends on the length of the train. But Maybe they were quoting an average length of train and and trains are, you know, four times more fuel efficient is what is what they said. So, you know, that I think that's hitting an important political note. Biden administration has joined the Paris Agreement. Governments are, you know, pledging net zero. So I think that's an important point. You know, you can't escape that now with big companies. They're all talking um, ESG, Environment, Social and Governance. I think, which is, you know, the modern world. I
0: was just wondering if you had any parting thoughts or other other impressions about railroads and this deal that you thought were worth bringing up.
2: Well, I think the other point here is that the United States under Biden is now trying to make nice with its neighbors, Canada and Mexico. There were difficult, rough relations under the Trump administration. Perhaps that helps make an argument for getting a cross-border deal done. I don't know you know whether that kind of thing would filter down to regulators and also there's a a trend or there's been a trend towards onshoring, i.e. capturing goods and services within our neighborhood rather than offshore. You know, we've had problems, trade problems with with China and other places. So if that continues to be a trend, then a three-nation Three Coast Rail Network makes a certain amount of sense.
0: These are fascinating topics. I really appreciate you coming on the show to offer up some reflections. My pleasure, Gabe. Thank you very much for asking me. All the best. That was Howard Green, author of Railroader. That's this week's show. A big thank you to our listeners and to the people behind the scenes. Music and production by Bryce Hall, editing by Yadula Hussein, and web support by Pamela Heaven. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and give us a rating on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. I'm Gabe Friedman, host of Down to Business. And until next week, you can find all your business news at FinancialPost.com.